Thank you, Devin. This morning we begin the beginning of what we're going to begin next week, which is a series on knowing God. And I entitled the message this week, Prerequisites to Knowing God. And if you remember those times when you went to school uh, and maybe there was a particular subject matter you wanted to get into or a major you wanted to, per, to uh, go after, you recognized that you had to take classes before you could get into the classes you really wanted. And as we think about knowing God, there are certain things that we, we've got to settle before we even try to make that the passion of our life to really know, not simply about God, but to know God. And so in many ways, and if I were to change maybe some of the wording I have in your outline, I'd say the, the first steps or prerequisites to really pursuing knowing God in a fuller and deeper way is that, number one, you, you need to be honest about who you are. And then secondly, you need to be not honest about who God is. And then thirdly, you need to be honest about what truth is. And we're going to touch on those things a little bit this morning. But some people, as you think about their journey to discover what life is all about and discover who God is, if really there is a true God and is he knowable, is they get lost in the pursuit or they get somehow deceived in, in trying to discover what is actually genuine and real about the supreme being in this universe and, and you can get lost in this in this world in so many different ways i came across a little story this past week that kind of touched me in a very simple way but it, it's a story about a, a a young father with his son and it goes like this a, a young father was out walking with his young son and he asked him this question how far are we from home and his little boy said uh dad i don't know and then the father asked, well, where are you? And again, the boy answered, I don't know. And then the dad said good naturally, well, it sounds to me as if you are lost. And the young boy looked up at his dad and said, nope, I can't be lost. I'm with you. Now, some of you know my story a little bit. And you say, well, that doesn't sound true about you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I've been lost many times. But every time I've been lost, I've been lost when I've been alone. I've, ne I've never been lost with my kids. I'm much more careful when, when my kids are around me not to, to direct them down a path that we're not going to be able to return from. Now, of course, God the Father never has that limitation where he has to be more careful than when he is always careful. But, but we can understand that. If, if we're in God's hands, we don't really have to know everything, do we? Because we're in the person, we're next to the person who knows everything. Uh, there's a there's a book uh, uh, that's become a classic, Knowing God, by J.I. Packard. And in that book, he kind of really talks about some first steps. He doesn't really word it that way, but he he quotes from a man named John Mackey who wrote a Christian theology, and he he really talked about the two types of people there are in just exploring life or examining life and i think that kind of speaks about us to to recognize as we begin this journey uh, you know what kind of person are we now john Mackey, writing of probably a few hundred years ago he he said there, there are two types of people there there are the people who are on on the balcony they're you know on a terrace above the roads below and they're passively and actively looking at the people below them as they journey down certain roads or paths of life. But as they're not engaged in the journey, they have that practice, which many times we have in various settings, where we're either celebrating or critiquing what the other people are doing. 
and he calls them balconiers. And then he, he talks about the people who are uh, on, the, on the foundational floor trying to navigate their life. He calls them travelers. And he says, we think about exploring God. If we're going to explore God as balconiers, simply looking and, and not participating, then we're going to miss it. We need to be recognizing that we're on that journey and, and, and applying the principles about God to our own life. If I were to use that phrase, and I have in your outline this morning, if I would say, well, you need to be honest about yourself, uh, you're one of two things. Either you're like a spectator or you're a sports participant. Or to put it in the way I think you have on the screen, you're either a poser or or you're a player. You know what poses are. There are people who who look a certain way and you you form opinions about who they are by maybe how they're dressing or how they're preparing to look like they're going to do something, and then you find out they, they never do it. It's like the person who brings a surfboard down to the beach but never gets in the water. Well, they're, they're posing as a surfer, but they're, they're, not, they're not getting in, into the waves. You know, it's a person, you know, who, who looks like they're going to... This happens in our home. If, if I put on an apron and go into the kitchen, you know, that means absolutely nothing, all right? You know, not, some, sometimes I'll do the cleanup. But when it comes to the cooking part, if it's not barbecuing, you know... You know it's not having an animal sacrifice on some, you know, some kind of a grill. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't have many skills in the kitchen. You know, I can wash the dishes, but I, I, I can't prepare much that gets on the plate. So I could be a poser by putting on an apron, and, and really it means absolutely nothing. And, and sometimes people are that way spiritually. If you have your Bibles, I have a, the wrong reference. I'm at Matthew 6.5 rather than Luke 6.5. But in Matthew 6.5, Jesus, he encountered posers. In fact, the posers... They fooled a lot of people. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, and they looked like they were really pursuing God, particularly when they prayed. And so in Matthew 6, 5, Jesus says this, And when you pray, let me tell you how not to pray. You shall not be like the hypocrites. Now, hypocrite in that day, it's actually we have now kind of incorporated that in our language, but a hypocrite in that day was a person who simply put on a mask. And usually they were people who might have been in the theatrical uh, uh, arena. And when they would play a particular part, they didn't get too subtle. They simply put a mask on their face and they played whatever that part was supposed to play. And they had a look on their face. If they were to be sad, they'd have a frown. If they were to be happy, they would have a smile. Well, don't don't be a person who's just posing, who is playing a certain role even if you're, you know, even the role of looking spiritual. It says, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in a religious place, and on the corners of the streets where everybody could see, that they may see my men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And the reward is not talking to God, but somehow getting the approval of people. So as we pursue knowing God, it's not simply looking the part. That could be a poser. But what we want to be is a real player, really participating. And, and a player here, we're not talking about performance. You know, you know, I'm better or you're better at something than I am in, in my journey with God. But you are giving all that you have in your journey to God. That's what God is grading. Not, not our progress compared to somebody else, but our progress compared to our heart condition. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 Moses, is, there's a backstory to this we don't have time to get into, but basically he's telling them what's going to happen. You know, they're going toward the promised land. 
They're all excited about falling after God, but he says, I know you're going to fall short. You're, you're, you're going to come to a point where you're really only posing as my people, and you'll get some consequences for that. Then you'll come back to the land, and then, then something's really going to happen to you spiritually. And he puts it this way, and this same theme is, is used throughout, throughout Scripture in terms of preparing ourselves to pursue that, which is what we're going to be talking about is knowing God, not as a poser, but as a player. And as a player in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, he says this, But from there, when you get back in this condition where you're now going to participate, not just spectate, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. So the pursuit of of knowing God is going to really demand that we, we give it our all, that that's our passion. doesn't mean that's our job, like that's my job. But it's, it's my pursuit in life to know God. And not superficially, but really on the inside. And that's always been true. So the prerequisites of our series on knowing God, and we're going to try to look at God and His revelation of being the, tri, the one God, in, in, but His triune, the fatherhood of God, the sonship of God, and the spirit of God. And we're going to try to spend toward the end of that series more on the Spirit of God than the other two personages. But we need to recognize it's, it's not an academic pursuit. It's not like the many challenges people have when they go to Bible school or seminary where now the Bible, which used to be a life book, becomes a textbook. Where it's now you're studying for the test rather than studying for life. That's not our goal here. Our goal is not to pose but to play. We're not on the balcony. We're... We are on the ground floor traveling the journey of knowing God. And knowing God begins with a, an encounter with God or an event where you surrender. But then that surrendering continues on as we grow fuller and deeper in our walk with God. So first of all, we need to be honest about ourselves. As we pursue this, are we going to be a poser or a player? Then secondly, and we'll spend most of our time here this morning, is well, we need to know who God is. And really what I put in your message, I put it this way. You need to understand the awesome majesty of God. Often what I, when after I preach, whether it's in the first service or second service or after both services, I think, you know, I, I, I really thought I was going to say this, but I didn't quite say what I really wanted to say or as clearly as I, as I felt God's word said it. And really, I guess I would say here is we understand the awesomeness of God or the awesome majesty of God. We don't want to reduce God as to some glorified human being. We, we don't want to see that we're just a little lower than God and, and God just a little better version of ourselves. The separation between who we are and who God is is immense. And that's a good thing. Because if, if God was only just a little better than us, then God's not going to do a whole lot, right? And so we really need to understand that God is, 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 is filling this universe with His presence. And how awesome is He? And how worthy He is of our praise and worship and allegiance. How majestic is His name. And so as I considered that, I was thinking, well, you know, what, how should we pursue this in our first step? And these are just first steps. And if you're asking what our next step is, I'm not really sure. I've been studying like crazy because this is an immense subject, and I don't even really know how to touch it, though I've taken 
graduate school classes on this and have, have read extensively on this. But to, to understand who God is is, is, a, is just, it's just an amazing pursuit. And so if somehow you think I'm going to do, do our study of God justice, there's no way. But we're going we're gonna to have our best attempt in even the few weeks that we'll be focusing upon, upon him. But as I, as I thought about that, I, you know, the, one of the passages that initially came to me, and we won't necessarily turn to it, but in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, uh, we, we had that encounter where, where God you know, is giving um, the, the people of Israel again a, another chance. He, he, escaped, he, he set them free from their slavery in Egypt and had provided them in so many different ways and gave them the Ten Commandments, which was a, which was a guide post for life as well as a, a, even then it was a statement to say, you need to depend upon me because you don't measure up on your own. And, and they broke the commandments almost instantly and, and, and then Moses broke them literally, physically. And so he sent him up to the mountain to, to get another copy and it was such an immense event. He says, and I don't want anybody on this mountain. I don't even want the herds and the cattle touching this mountain. And so as he goes and gets those tablets, God reveals himself to, to Moses. And he, he self-identifies himself as, as Yahweh. As Yahweh Elohim. I am the Lord. I am the Lord God. Full of grace and mercy and loving kindness. And then I like this phrase, abounding in goodness and truth. And this is God speaking about himself. And really, God is the only one truly who could speak about himself because we don't, we don't have a clue as to who God is. And then he goes on even from a, a sense of, of justice. I want you to understand that I don't forget the iniquities of people. There is, there is a holiness about me. And, and so we could, we could try to just explore that passage. Or, or I was thinking about Isaiah chapter 6, a familiar passage. And some of these we might turn back to in our series, but... You know, when, when God gave Isaiah a vision of himself, it was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and this holiness has the idea of not only purity and, and apart from sin, but it's the idea he is so separate from us. He's so distinct. He is way beyond who we are. And, and Isaiah said, I'm a, I am a man of unclean lips and he saw his unworthiness in the presence of God and then you have the encounter of Jesus telling the woman at the well that look at you you, you got this all you got this all wrong thinking that you, you got to spend all your time thinking about which mountain you ought to worship God on but then I said, you know, why don't, I, why don't we go back just to begin and, and look at that first step, being honest who we are, are we a poser or a player? Why don't we look at, as far as being honest about who God is, how awesome His majesty is, and, and look a little bit historically. In the 1600s, uh, there was a group of people who were actually from England and Scotland, and, and they really wanted to kind of catechize. They, they, want, they wanted to list some things that were true about God and, and really train people to think clearly and distinctly about God our role in life and God's role in life and, and all that. And it begins with a question, what is the chief end of man? Maybe you've heard this before. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's pretty clear. What's your purpose in life? To manifest a clear picture of who God is. That's what it means to glorify God. And in the midst of that, you can enjoy that because God is the source of fullness of life. 
But one of the early questions on that is, is a question that we would probably phrase differently. We, probably when we talk about God, we ask the question, who is God? But when they ask the question, they didn't say, who is God? They say, what? What is God? And I guess if we're going to pursue God, we've we got to figure out, well, what kind of a being is he? You know, we call ourselves a human being. And the unseen spirit realm, we call it the angelic being. They're angelic beings, whether they're good angels or bad angels. And when we talk about uh, God, we use an adjective. He's the supreme being, right? But what does that mean? Well, the writers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism put it this way, and they had all their children, and children probably of all ages, you know, memorize this particular phrase. And Charles Hodges has written many the, um, the, theological books that this is, this is the greatest definition of God he's ever come across. I always, I'm, I'm always a sucker for the greatest. You know, that's the greatest pickle you'll ever eat. You know, that's the greatest hamburger you'll ever eat. Whatever's the, what, so this is, he considered this the greatest definition of God he had ever read. And so I go, well, I, it's the greatest definition. I can't even remember. I've never, I've, I'm sure I had read it once or twice, but it just whoosh, went right out of my mind. So I thought we'd begin our series with at least one uh, particular uh, theologian saying this, this is the greatest definition of what is God. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And, and the only way that becomes a great definition is you have to think about it for a while, don't you? I mean, that, that's, you know, it's a great statement. It's not necessarily particularly colorful or, or easy to digest in, in one thought. But if, if you break it up a little bit, then you go, well, there's a lot to that. Now, initially, I thought I would, I, I would have, I, I would take each one of those statements and try to unpack them. You know, what does it mean that he's, that he's a spirit? What does it mean that he's infinite? What does it mean that he's eternal? What does it mean that, that he's unchangeable? And, and I've done that, but I thought to do that justice, I'm not going to have time to do that in one service. So I'm, I'm going to only do part of that, but I'm going to try to comment a little bit on the second part. There, there's, a, there's a chorus that is sung in the first service, there is no one like our God. And that really comes out of Isaiah, and, also, and then the, the whole song really comes out of Romans chapter 8. And really, that's, that's the theme I guess I want to come across even, hopefully, more effectively in the first service. I kept thinking, I'm not saying this in the, in the clearest way. As we pursue God and be honest about who God is, He is like no other. So, we're going to touch a little bit on this. It's quite possible I haven't totally decided how I'm doing next week, but... I might list out some things that unpack some of the things I, I probably will not particularly preach on next week about the other attributes of God. And this is not an exhaustive list. But they thought in terms of, of, of a takeaway, saying, okay, when you think about God, I want you to think about these things, which is very close to what's found in Exodus 34, 6. This is what he, the writer said, I want you to, to really meditate and resonate about as you think about what God is, as the supreme being, this is who he is. 
or this is what he is. Who he is, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, fully revealed in Jesus Christ. But what he is, is this. Now, let's, let's unpack some of that. God is a spirit. And even then, when I was, I was reading, I go, why doesn't he say God is the spirit? Well, because all the other words really say that. So he, he's just essentially saying, well, what kind of, I guess you could say, substance is he? Now, if we were to reduce God to a glorified human being, we would say God is a spirit and a physical what? Being, a physical body. But that's not who God is. God is a spirit. Now, what, what does that mean that God is a spirit? And we can't f- fully conceive of that, though I'll just say this in the beginning. You know, what is man? Well, God, man is a, and woman, is, is both a spirit and flesh. We're both physical and non-physical. We're material and immaterial. There's an inward part of us and an outward part of us. And that never, we never leave that. I mean, we will always, even in, in heaven, will, God will give us a glorified body. So we are uh, both physical and spiritual. But God is spirit. And that's why when, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and, and they were kind of wrestling with what does it mean to worship God, and they were talking about which mountain, the Samaritans and the Jews, and they were you know, wrestling with that geography. Look at you worship God in spirit and in truth. And the reason you do it in spirit and truth, at least the first part, is because God is what? The spirit. Now, there are two, there's two words in the... Well, there's, there's a word in the Old Testament, a word in the New Testament, as far as uh, as translated spirit. The, the Old Testament in Hebrew is called ruach. And in the, in the New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma. And, and they really essentially say the same thing. Uh, there, most words, is, you, you know, you look in Webster's Dictionary, you'll have multiple definitions if you discover that. You know, some are helpful and some are not. Like if you look up the word wisdom, they'll say it's a person who has the capacity to be wise. That really helps a lot, right? But I mean, but as you think about uh, pneuma or ruach, they, they mean spirit, but they also mean breath or wind. And that gives you a little bit of a picture of what does it mean, spirit. Well, it means that which you cannot see. It means that which you cannot control. Have you ever tried to control wind? I mean, you can maybe navigate, but you can't control where, uh, you know, where it's com- where it's come from, where it's going, how long it's going to last. It's 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 it, it controls itself. You know, we sometimes navigate winds. If you if you go where I used to live, you know, out in the Palm Springs area, you know, they had those windmills that try to take the wind and produce it in electricity, but. They, they can't control how much wind is going, when it's going to come, how consistent it will be, what angle it will come all the time. And, and see, as we think about God, God is, from our perspective, He's out of our control. And if you don't ever get that, then you, you kind of miss who God is. He, he's not, we don't control Him. He's able to control us. And if you've ever been in a place where wind comes in its, in its all of its majesty, wind is powerful. It, it, it can be used for good, and it can be used for that which we would normally consider bad. It can destroy, or it can, or it can save. It can move people in the, in the right direction, or it can move people in the, in the, in the opposite direction. And, and so as we think about when it's invisible, it's, it's, it's powerful, it's un, uncontrollable. And particularly as it relates to God, it, it is 
It is immense. It's not contained. It, again, I'm thinking about things I didn't say in the first part. Have you ever, have you ever, uh, have you ever used that phrase, you know, you, maybe you can't be somewhere somebody wants you to be, and you feel bad about it, and she said, well, I know I can't be there physically, but I'll be with you in, you know what that means? Absolutely nothing, right? It really doesn't, I mean, if, if I'm moving, and I want somebody to help me move, and I say, can you help me? So, you know, I'd really love to be, I, I can't be there physically, but I'll be with you in spirit. That means you're not going to lift anything. Is that what you're telling me? Okay, well, okay. I, because that we are physical and spiritual, we are limited by our physical body. But God being spirit, he's not limited. When he says he's going to be there in spirit, his presence is there powerfully. So as we think about God this week, we want to say, look at that. He is spirit, which is, which is such an awesome truth. He's not contained like we are in our physical body. And obviously, when Jesus became a man, he, he voluntarily limited himself physically by taking on human flesh. But God, in his essence, is spirit, powerful, uncontrollable from our end, a, able to move anywhere and everywhere, and, and his presence is not contained by any limitation. And in fact, Psalm 139 as I'm trying to be more clear in the second service, I'm running out of time now in the second service. All right, I'm in the first service. Okay, Psalm 139, yeah, many of this is a familiar passage. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, uh, you know, it says, it says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I sin into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even your hand will lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So as we think about what is God, he, he's, he's so much unlike us. He's not contained in, in a box, a physical tent. He is spirit. Now, the writers of uh, the Westminster Catechism, and I'm not an w- expert on the Westminster Catechism, so if you ask me any questions on it, other than I think it was done in 1647 and 1648, I know nothing about it, but I'm, I'm telling you what I do know about these words. It says, God is a spirit, infinite. And I think, well, why, why did they throw that in? I mean, almost being a spirit, at least the way I've described it already, it almost seems like, well, it's limitless, uncontrollable, powerful, all that. Well, I think it, it's thrown in here, at least from my perspective, is that they're, they're comparing God as a spirit, capital S, with all the other spirits that are in this world. You know, angelic beings are not spirit and flesh. They're just spirits. You know, animals are just physical. I know some of you want your animals, pets, to be in heaven. I don't really kind of think that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, I think there might be animals in heaven, but it might not be your animal. But some of you, you can, you can hold that opinion. There's some people smarter than I think that's going to happen. I think they're wrong. No, we won't go that way. Okay. It's, no. I'm just having fun with you. Is that, but basically, you, you don't look at human animals as having a, a capacity to know God. Okay, so they're basically physical beings. We are spiritual and physical. And angels, they, they can take on human flesh, but they, they are basically just spirit beings. But they're being a spirit being. They're not infinite spirit beings. They're finite spirit beings. 
They only have a, a certain capacity to be at certain places at certain times. They're, they're not omnipresent like God is. And so that's why the, el, ange, the angelic world, uh, whether it be the good angels or the bad angels, there are limits to what they can do because God is all-powerful. He's infinite. There's no, there is no limit to what he can do. That's basically what it means to be infinite. There's, they're exceedingly great, immeasurable. There's, there's no way to, to uh, describe just how immense God is. And isn't that a great thing to think about God? I think it was, uh, this just popped my mind, just popped right out, but uh, Paul Little, I think it was his name, or maybe it was somebody else. You know, he he wrote a book, uh, Your God is Too Small. And and really, when we encounter big issues in our life, and big issues in our life will cause us to struggle, but in the midst of the struggle, we need to realize that our our struggles, our challenges, our temptations, our trials, and our tests are never too big for God. Isn't that true? Because He's, he's infinite. He is, he is immensely, immeasurably powerful in who He is. So we begin this phrase. He says, God is a spirit, infinite. There's no limits in terms of His capacity as being a spirit being. And, and that He's eternal. And the word eternal means like it sounds. It means a foreverness. Uh, different than our eternality, we're going to be eternal in the future. You know, I'm convinced that there, there's going to be a, a destiny for people apart from God or with God forever. But, but God has a, not only a limitless future, but he has a limitless past. It is said of God that he's the same to uh, Yesterday, today, and forever. That in the beginning, God. It's all about God starting it all off as we understand it. He is the one who has always been and always will be. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And so we're not not talking about some capacity to to have a God that, that once was but now is. What once wasn't and now is. And, and let me tell you, um, the, the Church of the Latter-day Saints believed that, that, that God was once like we were, that he was a man. And, and they have various levels of God, the God Almighty. He was a man that was on a planet, and then uh, he developed more into a God, and then he, he created the, the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, craziness. And, and they, have, they have God as a physical being. And, and when you have that kind of concept of God, you don't have the supreme being of this universe. And eternality, being one who has always been and always will be, is the nature of who God is. You know, every little kid, well, if, if, if God created all things, who created God? Well, he is the first cause. He started everything because he's always been. And then that, that last phrase on the, on the front line of that, he, he's unchangeable in his being. Now, the word being is kind of related to the, the self-title uh, of, of God's name given to Moses. Uh, Moses asked the question, well, who, who, who am I going to tell these Israelites sent me? And he said, well, just tell them I am sent you. Well, that... that 
That's a, what do you, I am, what does that, that mean? He, I am the self-existent one. I have existed forever. And it came out of who I am. I am, I am. And so God is a living being. That's what it simply means. All, all things that we look at that have breath, we say, well, they're a being. You know, they're a human being, an angelic being, or whatever we want to say. But God is the supreme being. But in that, he's unchangeable. We can't conceive of that in, in many ways because we, we look in our lives and we're changing all the time. You know, we're getting older. It was funny that, you know, just like it, you know, churches here up at camps, you know, they have people stand up and sometimes they have, the worship leaders have you stand up longer than you want to stand up and then they finally let you sit down. And when the guys were sitting down, they go, oh, 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 they were all groaning. And they go, Oh, man, that sounded kind of miserable. Okay, well, you know, you get older, and then you, when you sit down, and after staying up longer than you want to stand, you, you kind of moan and groan. Now, we, you know, we experience changes all the time, physically, you know, mentally. Uh, you know, things we never used to think about uh, that we never struggle with, now we struggle with. But e- even in our relationship with people, huh, huh, every one of us here wish, you know, there are things we hadn't said that we did say, Right? There's all of us who, you know, I told you last week, I, remember I told, I, those of you who heard last week, I said I, I told one of the people who went out the door last week in the first service, I would not forget, there's a second one, I would not forget their name. And then I came in here until I'd already forgotten one of them, ten minutes later. And I guessed. I, I, guess, I, got, I got the guy right, I got the man, the, the man right, and I got his girl right, and I got within one letter of the girl, but the lady, the, you know, but I missed it, Okay. Well, God, God never makes a mistake. And, and he, never, he, never has to, he never has to develop and grow. When Jesus here, he grew in, in, in stature and, uh, and wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. But that's because he, was, you know, he took on human flesh. But, but God never needs to get wiser. He, he never needs to learn how to tell the truth a little bit better. He, he, he never needs to get stronger. You know, if you're working out physically, you, you always, the goal is to get stronger than you were the day before. If you're working on, you know, cardio, you're trying to get where your breath lasts a little bit longer when you're walking or running. You're always trying to change to the better, or you're trying to prevent from changing to the worse. I just want to slow down how fast I'm deteriorating. God never deteriorates, and he never gets better because he's at optimum all the time. And there's so many practical things related to that because it means that, that we never have to be afraid that God won't be faithful to his promises. Aren't you glad when it says that there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? That God didn't say, well, you know, I'm going to change that. You know, they've been messing around too much. I'm going to condemn them. Or, you know, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You know, I'm tired of hanging out with them. I'm not, I'm not showing up next time. And you can take any of the promises of God, you know, um, and, and just say, you know, God says, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, I, I told you that I'd give you joy inexpressible if you'll turn to me. You know, next time you turn to me, I'm not going to give you that joy or, or that peace or that comfort or whatever it might be or that strength to endure the next trial. God never changes. So as as they were, they were wrestling, how can I tell people, what is God? God is a spirit. He's infinite. He's eternal. 
He's unchanging in his being. And, and then you look at all the other attributes, and they could have listed a lot more, but I want you to understand, there is no one like our God, because there's no one wiser than God. He's wisdom. He's powerful. There is no one more powerful than God. There, there's no one more holy than God. He's holiness. There's no one more just. And, and we wrestle that. We go, how come people get away with the stuff they're getting away with? I mean, just look at what's happening, happening in the Middle East now. All, just how, how, God, God will bring justice to the land. Yeah, how, can, how can God be good and allow all those things happening? You know, how can good be measured up with evil and sin in the world? God, God is full of goodness. It's not a matter of one, if he's going to do something, but it's just simply when he's full of truth. So, so this week, as we just kind of start getting ready to talk about God, just, just reflect about what is God. God is a spirit. This is, this is a memory verse, though it's not a verse in the Bible. Think about memorizing this. You know, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchanging in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So as we prepare to know God, we want to know be honest about who we are. We're either a poser or a player. We want to be, we want to be honest about who God is. And we define that, that way in a simple way, hopefully, this morning. And we also want to be honest about what truth is. And you're saying, how are you going to do this third point in 30 seconds? Because I'm just going to read it, all right? Here are some foundational truths as we pursue this study. Number one, we need to believe this is true, that, that God has spoken to man and the Bible is his word. I'm not hopefully going to just tell you my opinions about God. We're going to go to a source, and the source is the Bible. Secondly, that it's not just an academic pursuit. God is Lord and King in this world. He's on the throne, so we are pursuing knowing the one who is in charge. Thirdly, that God is Savior through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something we desperately need because we all have become that point where our sins have been dealt with by someone, and that someone is God. Fourthly, that God calls us to respond to his revelation in trust and obedience. Again, the Bible is not simply a textbook. It's a guide for life. And so when we learn truth, we want to trust him. And then fifthly, God is triune. There are three within the Godhead, three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we want to, we want to appreciate who God has revealed himself to be. There's one God, but from the one God, there are three persons. And when we concluded our series in 2 Corinthians 13, the, the, the whole emphasis at the very end where he gave that benediction, that, that, that solemn blessing to that church in Corinth that was struggling with so many things. I, I want you to experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want you to experience the love of God the Father. And I want you to experience the communion, the fellowship, the partnership that's found in the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to try to somehow relate to the fullness of God as we go through the series on knowing God. And the question for us today and always is, are we ready to know God and put our trust and confidence in Him? I told this in a longer illustration in the first service, but when I was up at the men's retreat, and um, most of the time I'm, I'm anywhere, I'm looking for how can I have the most fun where I'm at, okay? But sometimes what happens is, you know, people come up and say, can I talk with you? And, 
And I said, well, why don't you go talk to that person over there, that other pastor. They're not doing anything. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a man from another church that I had known, um, and he said, can, can we talk? And so, you know, we made an appointment, and it was late in the afternoon on, on Saturday, and, you know, he'd gone through some horrific things in he and his family, just, you know, mind-boggling. And, and, and really, you know, you, you get in those situations, I don't have any simple answers like, you know, there aren't simple answers to horrific things happening where you are the victim of people being perpetrators on you and your loved ones. I, you know, and, I, and I gave him you know, my best shots on some specific things he could do. But ultimately, what I, you just got to turn your, your, your life to a God. And, and he, he, he's a believer. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. But you just got to trust that God is bigger than the problems and the things that you've encountered over this last 11 months. Because God is wiser. He is powerful. He is holy. He is, he is full of that which will bring to justice that which has been wrong. He is good. And he is full of truth. Let's pray. Father, all of us come at various times with challenges about what you're doing and how you're doing it. But, Father, we would pray that we might pursue knowing deeply the question of what are you and are you sufficient. And, and Father, when we really come into, into the light about how awesome and majestic you are, then, then we come to grips with being overwhelmed by the privilege of you wanting to know us and for us to know you. And Father, obviously it begins in the encounter with Jesus Christ who came so that we might truly know what it means to know God fully and broke down the barrier between us and you by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And Father, if there's anyone here that, this morning that doesn't know you, I just... I, th- I would just really pray that they would surrender their life and invite Christ to come into their life and then make themselves available to come into your kingdom world to serve and to live for you. Thank you for your love for us and thank you for allowing us at least think great thoughts about a great God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.